Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we begin a new series that started on Easter Sunday called Awake. And it's all about the resurrection of Jesus. But how do you know if the resurrection of Jesus is real? How do you know if his resurrection is real to you? The proof, promise, and power of the resurrection is in the Bible. The real question is, is it in you? You can follow along with the notes and discussion questions for your own Bible study on the media page for this series, Awake, as seen at reallife.org. But the Bible study begins now. Pastor Sean is teaching from 1 Corinthians 15 and from the book of Romans. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. You know, when we talk about this idea of resurrection, I think there's a couple different ways that we look at it. There's the proof of resurrection. This, we often talk about this dimension. You know, if there's three dimensions to this deal, we, we talk about the proof. And that's the fact that this is an actual event in history. Jesus actually lived. He's a real person in history. He actually said that he would rise again. And he actually did it. There's an empty tomb. I mean, there were a whole lot of people, powerful people, who desperately wanted to disprove the disciples' claim that he was risen. They tried really hard, and they couldn't do it. There's an empty tomb. So we look at the proof of the resurrection as an event in history that actually happened. We, we look at the promise of resurrection, which is obvious. I mean, we're talking about eternal life. This isn't all there is. Because of the power of resurrection, there's something more. It's a future idea, and we're grateful for it. It's something that we look forward to. But I want to suggest most people never get past these first two dimensions of resurrection, and there really is a third and that's what I want us to talk about this morning. And that's the power of resurrection. What does it mean that we serve a Savior who's risen? The power to live a different kind of life now. I want to challenge you with an idea this morning. I want you to chew on it a little bit. It's this idea. It's that you were made for far more than you are living right now. Now, some of you intuitively know what I just said is true. Some of you have kind of sat in quiet moments and thought, you know, just something in my heart, something in my spirit says, I'm supposed to be living more. Maybe when you lay your head down at night on the pillow and you can't sleep and you just have some quiet moments to think, something in you says, yeah, I think there is supposed to be more. Others would say, well, I, I don't know about that. I'm living the good life. I'm looking good. I'm feeling good. And I got the good, so I'm good, right? And there's people in that place. Problem is, I just want to say it's not good enough. There's a better life. Life far better than the, quote, good life that our world defines for us. Today we're beginning a new series of conversations called Awake, Living the Resurrected Life. I want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge you to stick with us for five weeks. Five weeks. It's five weeks we're going to go into this series. And we're going to talk about the implications of if this is real, we have a resurrected Savior, and God really did create us for more, what does that look like? And how can we tap into that and not just talk about it, but how can we actually walk out a life of something more as God designed it. It's called Awake, Living the Resurrected Life. It'll be the next five weeks, and I just want to challenge you to join us for that. Why Awake? Why do we use that title? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter where Paul writes a significant section on the importance of the resurrection. Okay, on Easter, we'll often take one of the gospel passages and talk about the actual resurrection story. Well, that's why we showed that very cool video that kind of put it to life for us and covered some of that. 
Paul looks back and says, this is why this event is so important. It's so central. This is why you can't get past this event. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, very interesting note. You, you need to just make a note of that. He's not talking about resurrection to unbelievers. He's not trying to convince those who aren't believers. He's talking to brothers. And as we read through this passage, I'll remind you of that a couple times. Because when you see what he says and you understand the light of these are people who have chosen to be followers of Jesus, chosen to be part of the New Testament church, it brings, shed some new light. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So this is the core. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance. The most important thing. A lot of other important things, but this is like, this is it. This is number one. Of first important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Simon Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now let's stop there. See, what Paul is doing is he's saying this is the core of the gospel, and this is the resurrection that really happened, and there were like lots of witnesses. Okay, you don't just have to take my word for it. He's saying lots of people saw him after they'd also seen him crucified. So he's dealing with the historical reality, or remember what we said, the proof of the resurrection. This is the core. It's a fact. Skip down to verse 12. He said, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now remember, these are brothers. So there's some people who have this problem, and they're like, well, I don't know about all that. And Paul's addressing it. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he, did, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. So he's dealing now with the obvious future ramifications. If, if, if you're trying to make these arguments against the idea of resurrection of the dead, he said, you understand, our faith is meaningless. This whole, our hope is in the resurrection. His resurrection and ours one day. So he's dealing with the obvious future ramifications or the promise of resurrection. Now I want to skip down to verse 32. He says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking... I fought with beasts at Ephesus. He's talking about the struggles that he had. Paul went through all kinds of struggles. He's saying, what what do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, what difference does any of it make? And then he says this. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Those are some very powerful and important verses. And, and see, now, he, remember, he's talking to brothers, believers, who are living below what they should in light of the resurrection of Jesus. There should be power. There should be something different, something real. This isn't just a theology problem that he's dealing with. It's an experience problem. 
And what's interesting is um, we live in a world that loves to kind of um, change our beliefs based on our experience. And we Christians are no different. A lot of folks who, who, we know what the Scripture teaches. We know the promises of Scripture. We understand the power. But then we look at what we're living, and it's like, oh, that's way less. And so what we do, instead of saying, you know, maybe I should do something different. Maybe I need to press in more. Maybe I need to seek God's truth. We, we bring our belief down. We kind of explain away some of the power, some of the supernatural, some of the life-transforming stuff of Scripture and bring, dumb it down to us because it has to match our experience. Then our, now our experience and our beliefs match. Obvious. I mean, aside from the obvious um, arrogance of that, where I become the sole measure of all truth, there's something in us that just say, no, 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 I need to rise up. I need to rise up to what the Word teaches. If there's a gap, I don't need to bring the truth down. I need to press in more. Here's the big idea, the main thing I want you to take with you. If you're taking notes, I want you to remember this. Resurrection is not a doctrine to be learned, it's a life to be lived. Resurrection is not a doctrine to be learned. It's a life to be lived. Yes, there are things. It is a truth. We study it. We understand it. There is doctrinal aspects to it. But fundamentally, folks, it is a life to be lived. If it's just a doctrine to be learned, and too often we treat it like that. Just some theological point that we'll argue with, you know, people who are different than us. We'll argue with them over it. But the idea that I'm supposed to actually do anything with that, or that that's supposed to change anything, I, I don't know what to do with that. That's because resurrection is not a doctrine to be learned. It is a life to be lived. Look what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 11. He said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, understand, we understand that we become followers of Jesus Christ. We're forgiven of our sins. We accept him as Lord and Savior. His spirit comes and dwells in us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he said, is in you. The reality of resurrection is the power to live differently now. It's the power to live differently now. And it's it's wonderful that we have eternal life. And we talk about eternal life, but it's not like, it's not like, boy, it's going to be terrible for the next like 30 years or whatever, and then it's going to be awesome. Just hang on, it's going to be pretty messed up, but, but then it's going to be great. That is not what the scripture teaches. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you turn and begin to follow him, eternal life begins today. That's the point of eternal life. It starts now, his presence, and then it continues on even after death as we graduate to that new place in him. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church, in this Easter Sunday message called Awake, which is available right now on the media page at reallife.org, where there you can even watch a video podcast of this message and series. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 
302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, Awake. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. See, the reality of resurrection is the power to live differently now. And the power of resurrection should change every aspect of the Christian life. It really should. It should change how we think about things. It should change our thought life, how we process. The grid we use to determine truth, to look at life. It should change our emotions, how we feel about things. How we look, we go through life and we are people who we have emotions and they're a gift from God and we emotionally respond to things. But I I just want to say those emotions that we feel that sometimes totally debilitate us when a person, a particular person comes against us or a, a thing, a circumstance, an event, a group, a company, whatever. When we understand the power of resurrection, we, we serve a risen savior. Death could not hold him. When we understand the power of that resurrection, then all of a sudden that person who like gives us some fits and there's all this emotional stuff, yeah, they don't seem so daunting. That circumstance, that situation, yeah, it's just not, not that big a deal when you, you're looking at it in the light of a savior who is risen and victorious and whom death couldn't hold. It should change our thoughts. It should change our emotions. It should change our values. What's most important? That's what values are, just what's most important. The idea that we serve a Savior who is risen should change our values. And it should change, ultimately, our decisions. It should change our decisions. We have, our decision-making grid is different because of the power and the reality of resurrection. And, and I just want to say there's a whole lot of damage that we do when we profess one thing and live another. It's actually the greatest slam against the church, right? Oh, you talk this game, but then you live this game here. And I'll, I'll, there are those who, it's unfair sometimes. Sometimes, you know, there are those who really love to rip on the church or Christians and, and whatever. We should worry less about whether it's fair <laughs> as to whether or not it's true. Is it true? Is this gap real? See, when we live below what we teach, what our word, the word of God tells us, what we profess, it creates a problem for others and, more importantly, for us. Resurrection is not a doctrine to be learned. It is a life to be lived. Now, Paul gives three directives in light of this conversation about resurrection. And honestly, if you just look at them, they almost come out of the blue. They seem a little bit out of left field. It's like, wow, why is he, why is he talking about that? But understand, it is in the context of this discussion about resurrection. The first is this. He says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And what's funny is he goes on and says, do not be deceived. 
bad company corrupts good morals, and we love that scripture, don't we? Especially all we parents who our kids are hanging around with someone who we don't like. Okay, and so we cherry pick and pull this one out. Aha! Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, young man, young woman. Mm-hmm. And by the way, parents, God bless you. Keep it up, all right? Because it's true. But just because that's how we use it doesn't mean that's how Paul was using it. it. It's a truth that applies in a lot of different ways. Don't forget, he was talking about this conversation about resurrection. He's talking about a group of people who are living below what is available to them. And he's saying to them, in other words, you are impacted by your surroundings and your view, your experience, your walk of the resurrected life is being impacted by the culture. You're being impacted by them instead of you impacting them. He's saying that's a problem. I want to suggest Paul was seeing some of this, and I think we see some of this among believers, just living in a culture-induced coma. And we live in a culture that I think is, is experiencing a culture-induced coma. Four things I think people face and that are, that are just cause us just to check out. Deceived. They're divided. They're distracted. They're discouraged. Paul started out with the conversation and said, don't be deceived. We live in a culture of deception. And it's bothersome. It really is. It's like truth doesn't matter. You can have absolute truth that is obvious and right in front of someone's face. And we have literally been inoculated against truth. And one of my favorites, and this is great, where you'll say, but this is the truth. And someone will say, well, well, that's beautiful that that's your truth. My truth is different. Do you know that's the dumbest thing anyone will ever say to you? And you need to call, you need to like throw a yellow flag, like a football ref, you know, just throw a flag. Foul. See, truth is not like that. Opinion is like, you could say that's your opinion. That's cool. You want to say that's your opinion? Awesome. And I'll respect your right to have an opinion. Right or wrong, you have a right to an opinion. It's just one of the things that God gave us, which I'll ask him one day, what were you thinking, God? But, you know, (laughs) no, I won't. I won't won't do that. But when you say, no, 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 this is my truth versus that can be your truth. You don't know what truth means. Truth exists regardless of our opinions about it or how we feel about it. And that's one of those things we just got to understand. As people who really say, I want to live the fullest life that God has for me, what I was created for, then my aim should be to align my life with truth, not look for kind of weird ideas of truth that kind of match my bizarre life. And you'd realize we live in a world, because of the beauty of the Internet, that you can find some goofball to back up any goofy thought that you want to kind of reinforce. Whatever truth you want to make up, the Internet is so vast and wide, there's so many people, and they're all kind of talking about things. You'll find someone to, to back you up and say, see, it's on the Internet. It must be true. It's like, come on. I mean, we, we go back and forth, obviously, on, on origins, on how we got here. Are we, were we uniquely and creatively designed by an intelligent, benevolent God, a creator? Or are we an accident of biology and chemistry? And this is a great example. You do understand that we are here and our opinion, whichever way we go, our opinion doesn't change how we actually got here. We got here. We are here. Our opinion of how we got here doesn't change the truth of that, right? And just understand that's a good picture of truth. 
So just because, well, my truth is that there's a divine creator, or your truth is that there's not, and we'll just have to understand our truths differently. No, that's the wrong word. That's how we get in a culture of deception, where things are professed as true that just aren't, and any reasonable person who's willing to step back and just say, wait a minute, my goal is to align with truth, not get truth to match up where I'm at, will be able to see it. We're deceived, we're divided. I don't need to talk about this much, but the, the divide in our world, in our culture, our politics is just killing us. It's causing us to look at people not as people anymore, but as a set of issues. And either they're on my side or they're on that side, and so I'm against them. They could come, give you a gift, and say, my, I take this position. I think you're awesome. And you would go, yeah, but they're wrong on these four other things, so no, I can't have anything to do with you. I don't care if you think I'm awesome. You're on this side of the political aisle. We've got to stop that. We, we just got to check out, okay? We Christians, let's, let's, let's just make a decision. We're out. And I'm not saying we're out of participating in the culture and voting and, and trying to influence. I'm saying we're out of this idea of dividing right up the middle and saying they're the other side, they're the other side. I don't care if you're right and pointing at the left or if you're left and you're pointing at the right. You're looking at people who Jesus loves dearly, who he died for, and who are lost without him just like you. When it comes to our need for our Savior, our need for the power of God to transform our lives, there is no us and them, it's just us. We're all in the same boat. And we need to understand that. We need to walk in that common idea. We don't need to be divided. We don't need to be distracted. See, when you talk about the deception and the division, some people just want to check out and are distracted. It's just like, I just want to fill my time with whatever I can just to not have to think about it. So, so yeah, I just, you know, I want to work throughout the week, keep my head down, do my job, and then go to the lake on the weekend. Or I want to, you know, go and watch as many movies as I can. Or I want to go and get into my favorite sports team or whatever. And we're just looking for distractions. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the lake, movies, or sports. I enjoy them all. I'm just saying we can use those things to fill up so much space that we're just constantly walking around distracted. And obviously the fourth, it's kind of almost more of a result as we become discouraged. It's like there's got to be more. Is this all there is? There's got to be more. And the good news that Paul is giving us is there is more. There is more. But if that's where you're at, Paul has a word for you. Wake up. Wake up. See, resurrection is not a doctrine to be learned. It's a life to be lived, and you can't live that life if you're unconscious. Paul says, wake up. And remember what he said? He said, wake up from your drunken stupor. He's talking to brothers. This is not a a scripture kind of warning against the ills of alcohol. He's saying, wake up from your drunken stupor. And I I don't really know what he's meaning here and what what that looks like. You know, there's some guy in the back right now going, well, I could tell you, preacher, I know all about it. Very good man, Paul. He's smart. Wake up from your drunken stupor. Stop and think about it. Senses dulled. Mind just kind of not wanting to think about it. Too many professed believers are just going through religious motions. I think he's talking about our spiritual senses dulled to God's work, His presence all around us and what he's doing, and what he's inviting us to be a part of. And yet we live in a world, and we live lives that just constantly dull our senses. I mean, stop and think about it. Think about the things that are kind of lined up against us that will dull our senses if we let it. Busyness. 
Busyness will dull our senses. And even as I say this to you, I have to tell you, I'm convicted. Because I can get pretty busy. But we fill our schedules, our calendars so full, I don't have to think about it. I don't have time to think about that kind of stuff. I just kind of, I got to go from thing to thing to thing. And I never have to stop and worry about the deeper things or never have to stop and look and say, how am I doing? Or any of that. Because I'm so busy. How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. And let, let me tell you something about busyness. She, she always brings her ugly twin sister, Hurry, with her. Okay? And that's another that will just dull your senses to the reality around you. And please, just know, this preacher's not you know, kind of preaching down at you here. This is one I, I'm convicted by. I will find myself in a hurry, right? We, we pack our schedules too full, so we're always having to go to thing, to thing, to thing. So, and so we, we get in the habit of hurry. I will find myself sitting and we'll be somewhere and going, oh, we got to get going, we got to get going. And, and then I realize we don't have anywhere to be. I have nothing else to do right now. But I got to go. And I'm not talking about the bathroom. No, we got, we got to leave. We got, we got to get to it. And, and, and Lori will look at me and go like, well, what are you talking about? Where, where do you got to go? I don't know, honey, but it is important. Come on. Have you ever felt like, have you ever been like that? Feeling like you're in a hurry. I, I got to hurry, I got to hurry. And then realize I have nowhere to be. You know what's happened? We have ramped up our internal clock so much that it just runs at a pace. And if we're not at that pace, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And understand, we never have time to just slow down see what's happening listen for god's voice consider are are we living the life that we were created for that's pastor sean azaro you've been listening to reaching for real life radio and if you'd like to hear this full message called awake it's available right now on demand at reallife.org and while you're there we'd appreciate your feedback you can leave us a note on our contact us page or even better your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, we hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.